from HerbMentor.com. This is HerbMentor Radio. You are listening to HerbMentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. This is John Gallagher. My guest today is Tom Elpel. In the herbal world, Tom Elpel is most famous for his books, Botany in a Day and Shunlea's Quest, which are wonderful guides to learning plant families. However, Tom has written many books and produced DVDs on wilderness survival skills, environmental education, green living, and living close to the earth. His latest book, Roadmap to Reality, Consciousness, Worldviews, and the Blossoming of Human Spirit. And you can see all of Tom's creations at hopspress.com. That's H-O-P-S press.com. HOP stands for Hollow Top Outdoor Primitive School, which is the school that Tom runs in Montana. He has an excellent retail site for all things nature education at grannysstore.com. And of course, there's a lot more than this that Tom and all the Elpels do there in Montana, and you can see everything in one shot at Hollow Top. That's H-O-L-L-O-W-T-O-P.com. Well, Tom, that's a lot of stuff you do there, and welcome. <laughs> Uh, thanks, John. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And um, you know, there's a lot of places that we can go here because you do so much. <laughs> you do so much there. And you know, I, I'd like to start. Uh, you know, with your, with your uh, you know, life up there in Montana and what you've created, and it's uh, so inspirational for folks to know, uh, you know, what's possible. What's possible when you follow your passions in life. And um, um, you know, sure things. May, may not look uh, much like what you set out to do, right? I mean, you know, I've been wilderness awareness school for nearly, around there nearly 20 years, and you were around doing that even before that. And um, <laughs> how, Did you grow up there in Montana, or how did you first get involved in wilderness survival and all this, all these skills? Okay, um, sure, my uh, family is from this area, and I actually lived in California uh, when I was a kid, and then we spent our summers in Montana. And so we'd be up here for two or three months every summer living with my grandmother. And uh, she was the one who really got me started on these uh, on these types of skills. Uh, she had taken some herbal classes and some uh, edible wild plants classes. And uh, every day, without fail, she would go for a walk. And uh, I loved to you know, go out uh, hiking with her. And we would... Uh, pick peppermint and red clover and yarrow and all these kinds of things and dry them for tea. And uh, she cooked on a wood cook stove, and every day there was a pot of herbal tea there. And so you know, I just grew up drinking that uh, uh, you know, every day that uh, it was with her. And then uh, when I was 12, we moved uh, to Montana. Mm-hmm. And so I got to spend a lot more time uh, hanging out with my grandmother and uh, she had an interest in the survival skills, and she had some survival skills books, and and sort of I picked up a lot of that uh, from her. Hmm. And uh, you know, wanted to learn the the survival skills, and wanted to learn all of the plants that uh, kind of led to some of these other things, including botany in a day was very much a, a quest to answer some questions for me. Mm-hmm. And um. You know, it's uh, and your uh, work there, you know, really seems to that you've done really seems to be a role model, you know, for people kind of. I think, you know, for it was for me too, one do the wrong thing. I I found it really inspirational because I kind of look at you and what you're doing, I'm like, wow, you know, Tom's doing what he's really interested, what he's passionate about, and he's figuring out how to how to, to to do this, have a family business, and 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 also, you know, can live anywhere you want, you know, you live way out there and. You're not too far from Yellowstone. You said 80 miles from Yellowstone, mm-hmm. and um, you know when you know you worked at this many years. But you know, was it your intention to also spread like out your your uh, you know what's possible to do in your life to folks? You know, following their passions and whatnot. Uh, yeah. Well, I was very much uh, interested in. Well, to me, to me, there's there's the wilderness survival skills, but there's also the survival skills that we do every day. Yeah, it's really the same thing that we're working to, uh, you know, keep a roof over our heads and uh, mm-hmm. uh, keep the place warm and so forth. And so uh, that was an interest as well as a necessity as I became an adult that uh, had to address some of those things. And I was also <laughs> very interested in sustainability and wondering, uh, you know, I had become. Uh, ecologically aware at an early age, so mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, wanting to find out, well, is it possible to 
you know, make a living and to meet one's needs in a way that's uh, environmentally friendly and uh, is, you know, and can be more profitable to do so. And so, had uh, you know a lot of young idealistic ideas about mm-hmm. uh, how to do that, and uh, and not much experience, which was helpful because uh, you know we were sort of uh, ignorant of what wasn't possible, and so we just went and did things. And so it never really occurred to me that I had to have uh, you know a steady job uh, to be able to you know buy uh, to be able to build a house. Or, you know, I didn't have to have money or uh, it never really occurred to me that I had to have money or a steady job or anything like that to, to go out and follow our dreams. And mm-hmm. so we uh, bought a little piece of property and moved into a, a tent and started building our house and uh, didn't really know what we were doing. But uh, we learned as we went and um, kept our expenses really low. And not having any money made it possible to uh, build a house that didn't cost very much. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Uh, and that actually turned out to be sort of our, our path to freedom because, uh, you know, we've never had a, a mortgage payment. And so we never really, the fact that we didn't need work meant that we could uh, follow our dreams. And, you know, for myself, I was pursuing a path as a writer. And, well, you know how uh, how it goes uh, with writing. It's not necessarily uh, profitable when you're starting out. So I spent... Uh, Many years, probably making a dollar an hour for my time, and uh, before before the business really took off, hmm. and uh, you know, as my writing became successful. You, you know, is um, you know, did that also? Did you hear back from people like uh, you know? Because it's really interesting because being in learning about the internet and marketing and everything, you know, and you're always listening to. I'm always listening to see what people are, you know, doing and and uh, you know. They come out with various systems of marketing and making money online and all, and and uh, mm-hmm. there's and there people report back. Oh, these are the success stories that I heard back from people using my system. You know, I'm wondering, like, you know, you wrote that book directing, direct direct pointing to real wealth, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was Tom, Tom, Thomas J. Elpel's Field Guide to Money. And I'm wondering, like, have you heard back like stories in the in, in, in the types of folks interested in what we do, like coming back and saying, yeah, Tom, you know, I, I did your, followed your program and gosh, you know, I'm really making it, you know, as far as uh, their sure, lifestyle. Yeah, I, I do hear back and, um, uh, you know, on all of my books, I hear back things from people and uh, that, oh, it's always a feel good thing to know, oh, well, people are actually reading that and getting something from right. it. And uh, so like in the case of my Living Homes book, uh, I was, you know, to, when people send me pictures of houses that they built from reading my book, I said, "Wow, that's pretty amazing." And um, wow. And then, as far as the direct pointing, the probably my favorite one is the um, the school teacher who who wrote to me and said how he was deeply in debt, and he read my book, and he moved into a chicken house, <laughs> <laughs> and he paid off all of his debts because he had no expenses, and uh, and then he uh, was free to pursue his dreams and uh, I actually heard back from him not too long ago and uh, he's over in Thailand I think teaching right now but uh, that was his path to freedom was to move into a chicken coop and I think well I wasn't really what I imagined uh, you know helping people <laughs> you, know, you gotta you gotta do like a late night infomercial like Tom Elpel's a uh, guy to field guy to you know and then have the guy with his chicken house <laughs> You too can pay your debts off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great. But it is an excellent book, uh, by the way. Um, you know, oh, I, thank I, you. I really got a lot out of that. And, uh, and gosh, participating in nature, there's living homes. And, guys, there was any way that I can turn my, like, suburban, my cookie-cutter, rectangular, box suburban house into a living home? I mean, there, I never really looked deep into the living homes book. Is there, is there like, you know, I'm just going to... I know I, I have these questions to ask you, but now I got to your ear. I'm just like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, so is it just kind of houses from this, the ground up, or is it can you convert houses, too, that kind of... Uh... Uh, well, the, the book is definitely oriented towards uh, building stone, log, and straw bale houses oh, okay. from the ground up making them uh, as efficient as you want them to perform on the budget that you have. Mm-hmm. And um, we've, uh, with, well, 
basically, with all of my books, I tend to uh, write a little bit of this is what we've learned and this is what I would do next time. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, when I reprint the book, I add to it again. So mm-hmm. uh, we've been uh, building an intern house for our Green University program and testing out some of the ideas uh, in living homes. And one of the key things that we're working towards is is making a house that um, hopefully will not need um, either uh, fossil fuels or firewood to keep it warm in the winter, mm-hmm. which is, of course, a kind of challenge in Montana. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we're trying to uh, trying to do that with some very uh, simple ideas uh, as far as going with super insulation, which in, in this case is all free uh, off a of junk pile. Uh, at the factory, and um, and then we have airlocks on all the doors, so that instead of having one flimsy little door between the inside and the outside, you're always going through two. And of course, having the passive solar, and then being able to run some solar hot water through the floor. Uh, so it's things like that too um, is what we're testing out at the mm-hmm. moment um, and, uh, with the with the living homes process. And as far as uh, remodeling, it's it's not really geared toward that, but you could certainly apply that. And uh, we've been we do energy efficiency projects in our bookstore, which is a, a hundred year old building. Uh, yeah. Every year. Yeah, that looks really cool. Granny store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I wish you can visit it virtually at grannystore.com. Um, that's really great. I'm really thankful that you take all of these this hard won knowledge that you all your experimentations through life and all the things you're curious about and turning them into books and DVDs for the rest of us, you know, and helps them. <laughs> it's been, it's awesome. Um, so, you know, we've both been um, involved in uh, years in environmental education, you know, and I, and I, and I think that you'd agree that um, maybe you won't agree, but maybe see, I, I shouldn't say things like that. No, but maybe you'll agree that, uh, that um, often you see people kind of um, interested in, one particular kind of skill to begin with, you know, they might be passionate about birding or tracking or maybe survival skills. Like I call it like the gateway skill, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, do you, do you, uh, do you see this in people? Like when you, when people come to your school or want to learn from you? Cause what I'm getting at is, is, um, you know, I, I've seen a lot and I've seen that for a lot of people, it seems to be plants and herbs, you know, that mm-hmm. is a big one. Sure. Um, through our uh, Green University program, which is our adult um, program, mm-hmm. we we have people that uh, often come for one thing and then up, end up finding that they were actually more interested in something else. So they might come uh, specifically to learn the primitive survival skills or to learn botany, um, but then they'll find that they'll get excited about something like house building or consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have a very uh, very informal program, and it kind of goes wherever the interests go. And uh, wow. so, you know, the, the people tend to find something that they're not necessarily looking for. That sounds like an awesome program, the Green University program. Wow. Um, I would like to do that. Can I move to <laughs> You know, you know what time I talk to, like, really interesting people like yourself, like, every month and every month, I'm like, I want to do your <laughs> <laughs> I could spend my whole life just going around and <laughs> doing. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, but since we have you here, and and of course this is our mentor, so I want to uh, at least for now in the conversation lean a little more towards uh, plants here as the uh, as the thing to talk about. And um, as you can imagine, like on our site, um, and probably maybe in your students is 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 as well when they're starting out, if it's if it's a newer thing to them, you see kind of a uh, a bit of overwhelm when a person begins uh, kind of a blank stare when you start talking to them about plants, you know, they're there cause they really want to learn, but it's like, they're like, Oh my God. And you can see their kind of brains calculating on how they can kind of, you know, make it simpler to learn or put a box around it or, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> there's, because there's, because it's uh and, and, and I find that a, a lot of that, um, I, I was finding, um, you know, when I was running the Kamana program, um, uh, before I kind of, went out to try to remedy this very thing, um, that, um, it w- sometimes that would, that would drive that overwhelm would drive some people away, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so anyway, uh, I, uh, on, on Herb Mentor, 
com, I the members they they can do that the plants path part of the Kamana program, you know. And but when we were designing our course in '97, that course in 1997, um, we got to the plant section and and we just kind of deflated, you know, the, uh, all us, you know, John Young and myself and a couple other people writing it, and because. Um, you know, it teaches various elements of the natural world, you know, journaling, using field guides, learning about relationships between species and families, you know, just real enough, you know, enough of the talk taxonomy stuff just to, to make it, to make the field guides more alive and, and all. And, um, you know, all the stuff we hated in biology class because we, we found no use for it, but now we, now we kind of find it fun, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's easy, it's much easier, all the stuff for mammals and birds, um, because a lot of the times, you know, it's located in one field guide and there's not just so much information because with plants and trees, you're like every ecosystem, all those plants and trees, it's like people just get like paralyzed in a way. Um, so we were having people, um, you know, go to the library and find lists and this and that. And, and it was really kind of a complicated part of the Kamana program that we were like, this is just too complicated. And then what should arrive in the mail that very week, but a review copy of botany in a day. And we just kind of, you know, thank the heavens. <laughs> okay. Well, it's interesting to hear. You know, because it's helped so many people because we immediately made it the you know, the required book for that section. <laughs> it's just like, here's the answer right here. This is going to make our job a lot easier. Um, so, you know, what, um, what, what folks might want to know listening here is um, – what was it that drove you to write that book? And it's probably something similar to what I'm talking about here, that right? Oh, oh definitely. Um, yeah, I, I always thought it was kind of funny because a lot of people look at the book and they assume that, uh, you know, I work in some botany lab and wear a white coat and, I'm, you know, all my hair is gray from doing this all my life. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, it was more the fact that uh, I didn't know anything about botany and you know, being um, being young and kind of naive and not knowing what couldn't be done, I just thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, write a book about botany. I'm gonna call it Botany in a Day, mm-hmm. and make an easier way of learning plant identification. And of course, I had no idea how to go about doing that, but I, I think it was just something I intuited or felt that um, you know I needed to go do this, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, Anyway, we had uh, our, our initial business, Hollow Top Outdoor Primitive School. Uh, we were doing some herb classes, had an herbalist uh, here that was uh, taking us around in the woods looking at plants. Mm-hmm. And I noticed some patterns to uh, the way that she talked about plants. That, uh, uh, in particular, we have a lot of members of the Rose family here, and she would point out uh, how, you know, how all of these plants have five petals and most of them have numerous stamens. And they tend to have similar medicinal properties. They're astringent, and it's good for tightening up tissues. Um, and um, so I thought that was interesting because I'd never really heard of these patterns before. And although I'd seen the family names in my field guides, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't mean anything to me. And so after listening to her refer to these patterns for several of the families, it kind of became a quest to learn all of those and to you know to write it down because I hadn't seen that in any in any of the books. Right. And so, you know, I've uh, never taken a botany class, and I learned my initial plant identification with uh, with my grandmother. You know, we go out and uh, pick some flowers and bring them back, and I just page through the color photos in a book trying to match up the the flowers to the pictures. And, uh, you know, being a kid, I had all the time in the world. I was very non-technical. I didn't know any plant terms, uh, just, you know, really looking at the pictures and seeing if they matched. Mm -hmm. And so even though I I had names for a lot of the the plants and had read what they were, what their uses were, uh, I had really never even looked at the plants in a way. And, uh, and, didn't and I realized when I got into the patterns thing that I really didn't know anything about plants that uh, that there was a lot more to this, and so uh, this you know led to the whole botany in a day thing is is learning to understand those patterns, and it's kind of exciting because it, you know you can it doesn't matter where you are you can 
be in Siberia and right. come across some flower that you've never seen before. And if you know these uh, patterns that are covered in botany in a day, uh, you can know immediately uh, something about that plant, who it's related to, and even uh, make a reasonable guess as to its uses based on who it's related to. Mm. And so suddenly the names aren't so important. You know, we have this thing that we think we know something if we had a name for it, but it's just an arbitrary tag uh, that we use, and it doesn't mean we actually know anything about it. And so with getting into the patterns, uh, it, it really becomes a tool that when you come to a plant, you might not know its name, but you might know what you can use it for. And that's that's pretty exciting. I never get tired of uh, experiencing that. Yeah, it, it, it's revolutionized, uh, you know, how I look at plants. I mean, I find that, that having a tool like this just makes it, um, gosh, it's almost like you don't, feel like you need to know every plant that's out there because any plant you come across you can have a gateway into immediately figuring out where you can look it up and find it out if you need to mm-hmm. you know exactly so, so can you give it give us an example for those um you know if not because um you know, one of my one of my many reasons of wanting to have you on here is that uh i i, I get folks on on this site um they want they want to know about herbs and remedies and they want to make stuff and they of course are interested in plants but I, I tr- it, it's a trying to do what I can to get people wanting to learn all the plants that are growing in the wild right outside their door I mean that's my objective mm-hmm. um, sure. so uh, and so any way means possible and so being that they're such this friendly resource um, and so an example uh, you're going out and you don't know uh, you know you don't know what a certain plant is and, and and how can you use your book to discover something about it okay uh, there's, there's two aspects to that the first one is learning the the most common patterns and uh, when I first wrote the book I did a lot of uh, plant walks often just two-hour plant walks get a group of people together and we go look at some flowers and introduce some of these patterns and then instead of, uh, you know, me coming, you know, instead of coming to each plant and I'd tell them what it is, it would be coming to it, and then I'd ask them what it was. And it just kind of see people get really excited about, uh, you know, having a tool that they can use uh, like that. And so there's, uh, there's a number of families that are very important to learn first that way. And then once you know those, you'll see them everywhere you go and you'll be able to recognize them uh, immediately. Mm-hmm. And that sort of gives you a foundation to work from. And then with the lesser-known families, there's uh, keys in the book that you can go through that are very simple. Uh, that you know, the, the whole book is, is written from the perspective of somebody who is not trained in botany, uh, you know, not, uh, doesn't, didn't have years and years of schooling in this, so it's, mm-hmm. it's written from the perspective with the questions in mind from a person who doesn't know botany because I didn't know it <laughs> when I started the project. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this was sort of my quest uh, to learn all this. And then it became, you know, by doing it that way, it actually became a tool that's used in universities nationwide now as a, as a textbook mm-hmm. because it really approaches it from the perspective of the student. And um, anyway, there's, so there's these uh, core families and I always thought it was exciting doing these plant walks because, uh, you know, see people, the light come on in people's eyes and they're nodding their heads up and down, you know, with, as, the, as this uh, clicks together in a way that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then uh, sort of incorporated that plant walk into the more recent uh, editions of Botany in a Day. This uh, tutorial that's in the front uh, has something that's very close to what we do on our plant walks. Oh, i got to get that upgraded copy then. I'm going to order that. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, um, and then we took it to the next step, which was, you know, how can we teach this to children? And so uh, took out, kind of stripped it down to some of the core elements and put it in story form uh, in this uh, Sean Leia's quest, a botany adventure for kids mm-hmm. ages 9 to 99. Yeah. So it makes it, <laughs> it makes it kind of a friendly story. Uh, and then to sort of integrate, you know, there's, uh, the, the big concern is the in one ear, out the other thing, and to, 
to really integrate these principles, uh, we developed the card game, the Sean Leia's Quest Patterns and Plants uh, card game. Mm -hmm. And this is fun. I use card game with kids and adults. And it's really fun because you get to practice your identification skills. You learn the, uh, you learn the pattern, and then you play games. Uh, we typically start out with just a simple memory game. So uh, like memory, you turn up one card, and uh, you know you have a flower, and you turn up another card, and what you're looking for is not two not two identical flowers, but any uh, two flowers from the same family. And so you do this pattern matching, and so you turn up a card, you name the family, you turn up another card, then name the family, you know, and if they're the same, of course, you, you uh, get those. And then we have a, a bunch of other games like a wildflower rummy and crazy wildflowers, slap flower. Uh, as well as uh, we have sort of an original game. Uh, all, all of these have their, their spin-off for the wildflowers, but we also have a, a totally original game that we call Sean Leo's Harvest, and uh, in the card game you go out and you collect things from each of these uh, families. So they're a lot of fun for uh, kids and adults, and it just cements, the, um, it cements those basic patterns in very quickly. And um, yeah, also an example, I mean, like, uh, for example... Um when I go out and I and I see something that opposite branching square stems has that certain kind of flower, I know it's the mint family. And at least I know there's not going to be any poisonous in there. But if I see mm -hmm. something with lacy leaves, uh, alternate branching with a humble flowers, and I think that's in the carrot family, then I, if I don't know what it is, then I should just research it first, you know, before I know because it could be poisonous. So yeah. That's uh, exactly right. But there's some families, like, say, the mustard family, uh, it has four petals and they have six stamens, four tall, two short. And if you see that, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, uh, you can eat that plant. There's 3,000 of them. So with that much information, if you can remember that much information, four petals, six stamens with four tall, two short, uh, anywhere, in the, excuse me, <clears throat> anywhere in the world that you see that pattern, uh, you've just identified an edible plant. And so that, you know, that works uh, the, right there. You've learned 3,000 edible plants, uh, whereas there's other families like uh, the parsley family or what you refer to as the carrot family that has the compound umbels, mm -hmm. uh, like an umbrella, and at the end of each little spoke there's another little umbrella. And when you see that, it's really a warning that, uh, you know, hey, you need to, need to know absolutely what you're dealing with here mm -hmm. because there are some edible plants in the family, but there's also some of the deadliest uh, plants uh, including uh, water hemlock, the deadliest plant in North America, mm -hmm. and uh, poison hemlock. So, uh, you know, if, uh, you have to be very careful that you know which specific plants that you're uh, dealing with um, there before you go sampling things. And so that's really, use, the pattern there helps you know right away that, okay, you got to be more careful on this one. And, um, and not just... Um, be 100% sure of what, you're, what you've identified, you also have to be right. <laughs> and that's one thing a lot of people don't realize is that uh, uh, the, you know, there's a tendency, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in the wilderness looking at a topographic map trying to figure out where you're at, or whether you're holding a flower and you're trying to identify it in a book. If your goal is to find an answer, you'll find that answer whether it's right or wrong. And so, you know, people have many people have died thinking they found a wild carrot when in fact they had found a water hemlock or, or poison hemlock. And so the, um, the patterns tell you that, uh, okay, here's a family where you need to uh, pay extra attention and, you know, make sure that you've got it right. Mm -hmm. Part of that is that um, it, it doesn't matter what we learn. It could be learning, uh, uh, you know, if you're learning algebra, there's only one way you can do that, and that's to build up a neural network to process it. Uh, that you know you, you're starting with some basic material, and it's all um, at first might be overwhelming, but you learn the, the bits and pieces, and then you start to wire a neural network to process algebra until you can do it. Mm -hmm. And um, plant identification is the same way: is that when you start out, all these plants look kind of green, <laughs> and so it's, it's, uh, there's there's the risk of of uh, mixing up with plants like uh, a wild carrot with a water hemlock, but as you develop that neural network, you start finding out that, oh, wow, these plants actually look very different, 
uh, you know, the more that you, you grow that neural network. So, uh, so what I advise people to do is, you know, kind of stay away from those parsley family plants at first, identify them, but don't use them. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, with other families like the mustards or the mints, uh, you know, identify those, use those, and then as you develop your neural net and um, for for identifying green things, then you know you can go into the the parsley's with more confidence and accuracy to uh, you know, to to make sure that you've got the right ones. You know, I it, it, we've uh, taught it through wilderness awareness over the years that uh, call it the, the the wall of green where it's just like everything just looks like one big wall of green. <laughs> and then you start to, you know, um, and it, it, like I was just teaching at the residential program yesterday and uh, talking about how we uh, <clears throat> slowly develop relationships. Kind of, It's not too different than meeting people. And this is what's so cool about this. It's, uh, you know, I talk about how, um, you know, you, you might learn the names of a bunch of plants, like learning the names of a bunch of people at a party, but you're only going to really establish relationships with a handful of them uh, those uh, people as you would even plants, you know, that you get to know deeper. But what's cool is that even in people, you can see similar traits in their families. So <laughs> you can actually learn a lot from learn- knowing other people in their family, you know, so it's, uh, it's great. Um, so, and what, what people might be interested in knowing too out there is uh, um, what I really appreciate too in Bonnie today, at least the, what, what edition are you up to now? I'm in, the th- I have the third here. I don't even know. Where you're oh, third. Oh, wow. That's way back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have the uh, the fifth, which is t- very t- different. Tells you the, uh, tell, tells you how long I've been using it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I am going to yeah, order no, it. <laughs> but, but you go over uh, – um, what's great is I, I just love um, the whole uh, – I'm sure you get this in the current edition, but in the beginning, how you kind of really in a nutshell go over um, – the, all of the plants, like you know, you're going showing all the the, the, the kingdoms and, and and everything, and and the different kinds, all the way to the the, mo- the mosses, algaes, and and everything, and uh, the ancient plants and the conifers, and you know, just just showing their um, place in the overall scheme of things, like the percentage of flowering plants to the percentage of 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 uh, of the, um, the 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 conifers, like the naked seed division and the divisions, you know, and and then like you know. And which is really helpful to kind of get the the scope of of um, you know, the, the plant kingdom in general before you kind of move on to the family level. So it's almost like you do this quick introduction before you mm-hmm. move on and, and get to the to the families. Sure, Bot- botany uh, or plant classification is is very much a filing system, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's instead it's introduced instead of uh, looking at Instead of starting on the outside of the filing cabinet, you tend to uh, just pick up one file out of the inside at random and, you know, study that file, and then uh, you put it back and sort of get another one at random and not really have a context to put them in. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, really what I've tried to do in, in botany in a day is that uh, you say, okay, here's the whole filing cabinet, and there's this drawer, and there's this drawer, and there's this drawer, and then there's these dividers, and then you get down in here and you have these uh, these folders and each folder is a family, and uh, there's a hundred of them across the northern latitudes, and so you've got a um, hundred different folders uh, to mm-hmm. look in to find the answer. Uh, you know that uh, it's going to be in one of those, and um, mm-hmm. and so that just uh, you know greatly simplifies it, so that uh, instead of you know the, in the world there's uh, about three hundred thousand species of plants. And um, then there's about 300 families, which in the northern latitudes, basically the, the frost belt of our country, and pretty much the same families in the frost belt around uh, the globe, there's about 100 families of plants. And so there's 100 patterns, and if you, uh, if you know those patterns, then you'll recognize basically anything you come across. And, um, and then there's really um, need to know a lot less than that to, for, for most of the plants. There's uh, a few major families and then a lot of obscure ones. But um, uh, so, you know, a hundred different uh, patterns that'll teach you, you know, that'll, that'll help you identify just about anything you run into uh, anywhere in the northern latitudes where, wherever you have uh, cold winters. Mm-hmm. 
and this, of course, also applies um, uh, farther south as well. There just happens to be additional families, some of which are covered in the book and some that are not. But I've had people using uh, uh, Bay in Australia and Africa and South America. So, right. uh, you know, people have found it to be uh, useful all over. In fact, uh, I thought it was kind of funny. I've, uh, uh, if part of the identification I have... Uh, 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 described for one particular family that the, the uh, flowers are always uh, these various colors but never yellow and I got a message from uh, South Africa a few weeks ago that um, that their species has yellow flowers. There's always <laughs> go, an okay. exception to the rule, isn't there? <laughs> so I guess I gotta go back and, uh, you know, make that little modification but uh, yeah, people are constantly sending me notes like that uh, and so i uh, continuously upgrade the book and uh, incorporate those kinds it's like, of things <laughs> it's like if we, we could say that every plant with opposite branching and square stems was a mint if there wasn't if it wasn't for nettles <laughs> uh, sure. yeah and there's some fig, figworts uh, there's a handful of figworts that uh, look like that too as well yeah see there's always those um that's that's great. Um, so exactly. So it's those. It's having those filing card. That that's such so great because that's really how our our brains are patterned to learn in this culture. So it's matching up a way of learning that, 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 that. And then and then I tell folks that you know. And then it's the the file cards that you actually remember are the ones you actually go out and pick or process or eat or make medicine or do something with. You know, unless they're the poisonous ones. And there's yeah. not a whole lot of poisonous ones. So they're pretty easily to remember. Easy to remember. Um, but when it comes to, uh, you know, the other ones, um, but which leads me to, um, also really liking how it's very helpful to, um, see that with properties of plants, um, that another thing that can make herbal books overwhelming is when people go and they, and they say, okay, for this condition, you can use one of these 12 herbs. And if you're starting from that level and not, and it's almost like you don't know why you're using those herbs. Let's say you need a, a, a mucilaginous plant for a sore throat and it lists all these plants, right, for, for its demultant qualities. Or maybe something for a cough or an expector and qualities, and it has all these plants, and, and you're not quite getting why. And But if you know some basics just first about properties of plants, you can often then look to find a multitude of plants that might be growing even in your area that aren't even in that book that okay. have those qualities. So do you, do you have anything you wanted to, um, the examples, or wanted to add to that? Because that was really helpful for me, too, just kind of made it a lot simpler in this huge world of plant chemistry. Sure, sure, yeah, that's how, you know, when I started out learning plants, uh, identifying them in books and then trying to memorize the uses, uh, it's, there wasn't any rhyme or reason to it, it's, you know, this is used for this and this and this and this, but it wouldn't say why or what about the plant that made it useful for that or the fact that the other ones that were related to it uh, had the same uses, and, uh, now, like sometimes on my plant walks, I'll bring along herb books uh, that are organized like that, so I can uh, show my my class how you know here's these different plants from the same family, and they all uh, you could pretty much cut and paste the the uses from one to the other, mm-hmm. and it's like you know instead of trying to memorize those uh, from each plant, it's just so much simpler if you can uh, memorize it for the whole group, the whole family uh, together that this is. Is the patterns that they tend to have. Uh, so, for example, uh, the mint family plants um, have volatile oils that is their aromatic. So right. we've got these volatile properties that if you brush against the mints, the, uh, the, uh, you can smell the aroma in the air, those the properties. And so it's no, uh, no coincidence then that, um, uh, that the uh, mint family, if you look in your spice cabinet at home, there's about mm-hmm. half of the spices come from the mint family. Exactly. Uh, things like basil and thyme and oregano and uh, marjoram and uh, a whole bunch of them. But uh, they come from the mint family. They're all um, highly aromatic, uh, spicy plants. And so they have similar properties. They have similar uses. And medicinally, that would be that they tend to be diaphoretic. Uh, as they make you, they tend to make you sweat. So, mm-hmm. and that's useful. Say if you have a, a cold, or you're trying to, um, and you know you've got a fever, and you need to break that fever. Uh, fever is sort of like the body's way of, of 
cooking microorganisms, and, uh, and once you uh, have killed them, then you know, the body cools back down. So you can sort of break a fever with, uh, uh, by you know, having kind of a spicy tea, uh, something perhaps in the mint family right. that uh, is going to make you sweat, uh, you know, um, warm you up all over, and then uh, and break that fever. So you can kind of sum up the uses of uh, entire families of plants sometimes uh, that way. And then find that that the similar properties uh, will be common to other aromatic uh, families as well. And so um, you know you, you sort of learn that okay the mints have this property, but so do uh, some of the medicinal members of the parsley family are, are very similar, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, other aromatic plants also uh, like yarrow mm-hmm. uh, have some of those properties as well. Right. So then you're looking at the the um volatile oils um in, in mm-hmm. there and then and then things like uh oh just so many constituents when you're looking at either tannic acids seeing about helping connected tissues and a lot of woody plants just have tannic acid in it you know like mm-hmm. that are helpful um you know and it, and it goes on and on it's just uh you know, it's, it's just really great i just i just i read through it again the other night just as a refresher i was just like oh yeah i need to look through this again i remember how you know, helpful that was, Fla- especially flavonoids, you know, talking about all the fads and antioxidants, you know, like you're like, oh, buy our, you know, MLM vitamin package because it has antioxidants and it's going to help you be cancer preventative. And then, and then, you know, you look down here, there's a, um, that, that pretty much, you know, any, I mean, there, there are tons and tons of, of plants that, and fruits and vegetables and everything that have these flavonoids mm-hmm. and antioxidants, and you don't necessarily need that fancy vitamin, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. Uh, but um, one, one, there's some really great stuff too. And you're reading through here, and you're learning that I had a lot of aha moments. Like, uh, um, like I always wonder why I had a weird. I could only eat so many cashews, or I, I can only eat like a mango or something, and I would get this kind of weird twinge and. Like mm. sensation so in my you mouth. Must be, uh, you must, you must be allergic to poison ivy. I am, and I did not <laughs> notice. I didn't. That made okay. sense. And now, I when I see a bowl of cashews, I don't touch them because when I was a kid, boy, you think I'd have some kind of. By now, I'd be immune or something with the amount of times I had it when I was a kid. I mean, I remember a time being out of school for a month with my face puffed out and everything. Oh, and, wow. And, and everything because I had the worst uh, reaction. Um, but when I saw that, I you know. I had a trip to Hawaii a couple of weeks years ago, and I didn't I didn't eat any mangoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, good plan. I, a friend of mine uh, is, yeah, just the kind of just the kind of allergic reaction you described to poison ivy that goes on for weeks, and uh, she she does react to mangoes, not so much to eating them, but uh, getting the juice around the outside of her mouth, uh, she breaks out mm-hmm. when she does that. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so when I saw that, I was like, aha, that's why it all makes sense now, you know. <laughs> and it goes on and on. I mean, you read all the little, you know, paragraph or two in the beginning of uh, all of the different families, and then you start to see all these connections. And and you also really start to see the connections. It, it helped me to see, like, plants are plants, you know, like whether we categorize them as vegetables or herbs or spices or or whatever we have all these little categorizations that oh well, it's a vegetable it can't be a medicinal plant you know and and, <laughs> and and then this this definitely takes all those labels away and just says nope these everything here is a plant and and these are the relationships between them and um mm-hmm. it's good it's it's great so i just you know wanted to give you that you know at least how what it, what it's what it's done for me in my learning and and i'm That's sure great and i'm sure it can do a a lot for other people's uh, <laughs> as well, of course. Um, and, you know, when I've traveled to different places, I had a little harder time in Hawaii, but <laughs> when I'm in the northern areas, uh, you know, going back east to where I'm from, New Jersey, or uh, traveling around there, and it was easier to get reacquainted with the plants that I used to know anyway, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm really rusty on my wild carrots, Queen Anne's lace, and poison hemlocks and whatnot because I live in such a wet area. In Western Washington, we don't—they don't just grow everywhere like they do on that, you know. So it's like, sure. oh yeah, which one's which? I'm like, all right, I'm not going to mess with it. <laughs> um, so let's see. Um, so anyway, uh, that for folks out there, definitely botany in a day. Um, 
if you're planning on doing the the plants path on the, of the Kamana section within Herb Mentor, you can uh, it's uh, you will use this book to its fullest. I mean, literally going through and journaling. I mean, sometimes you need a, a little extra nudge to actually get you through to 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 use something completely. And I was really thankful for that because it it helped me like actually go through like every single family you have listed in here and journal it. You know. And, and, mm-hmm. and kind of put, and it put my whole, all of the plants in my ecosystem into perspective. Because after I did that, then I journaled all of the species, I listed all the species that are in my area, and then fit into what family, and then, you know, took about 50 of those and journaled those, uh, and then, which really helped me kind of get a good lay of the land. And, and um, you know, and it's, it was excellent. And um, so you did talk a bit about Sean Leia's quest, and I was going to ask you about that too, and the cards as well. And, and um, I just want to give you the feedback there that, yeah, it's been great. I mean, not just for my own learning, but with the kids too, you know, and they, so they see the different, different islands Shunlea goes to. And, and uh, so what, what a bit about that? How do you have that organized? Like, this is a great storybook. There's Shunlea. She goes to, you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. Sure. It's um, uh, the, the world that Shunlea uh, lives in is a place where, uh, Time is water. That uh, sort of in the creation of the uh, the world, uh, it was decided to make uh, time pass as water. So mm-hmm. as all of the uh, falling rain marks the passage of time, and uh, so then as uh, sort of the scheme of evolution. If you look at uh, like a, a diagram of an evolutionary tree, uh, that you've got it like the central trunk and then it branches out to all these different uh, plant families. And uh, if you were to take and make a cross-section uh, in, the, in the tree across all those branches, then you have what looks like islands. And then a little, uh, it, it, all those branches cut off become little islands. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we have this world where this uh, evolutionary tree is growing. Uh, it's just kind of a... Um, network of islands that are connected together under the uh, ocean of time that just keeps getting deeper and deeper. And so uh, in in this world that Shanlea lives in, she uh, is on this quest to learn about the plant families, and it just so happens that each family of plants uh, lives on a a different island here because of the way that they're they're all rooted together, how they have uh, diverged away from each other over time as on these, these separate branches that became separate islands. And so uh, she goes to the islands, and and each island has a, a guardian that uh, you know some are nice and some test her, and uh, uh, she learns the basic patterns for identification and the and the um, the uses of these particular families, which um, covers really the most major important families that uh, about forty five thousand species of plants that are covered in the eight families that are in the book. And so it's kind of a fun way to uh, to uh, get an overview, get the kind of get get a sense of uh, of the the story of the plants, the whole background story, and sort of a metaphorical uh, sense in the story, as well as the, uh, the the details on you know how do you identify these patterns, what do these families tend to be used for, and uh, and then of course if you play the card game, then uh, you get to actually. Uh, put those skills to the test in some uh, really fun games. Mm. And uh, and I've gone through it, read it through, and it, you know, and, and any parents out there with with kids that you read to, you know, that they don't mind hearing the same book over and over again. So <laughs> it's a great one if you're going to be reading a book over and over again to them, and <laughs> and it starts to pattern your kids on this, and and as well, you know. And so when you walk outside with them in places, you can say, hey, what. What island do you think this plant would be on? And uh, oh yeah, and kids pick that kids pick that up amazingly quickly, and uh, you know, and, and you might find if you're uh, playing the card game with your kids that you know they might be ahead of you and uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, recognizing these family patterns, they just absorb it so quickly. Exactly, exactly. So and we actually uh, on our on our website we have you know of course we sell all all of these things on our website, but we also um, have discounts if you buy them together that uh, uh, for the Sean Leo's Christ book with the card game plus the botany in a day uh, you know you can save ten dollars on the whole the package of the three books together 
And, and, and another great uh, thing I noticed, a discount you had on your, I wanted to ask you about next, talk to you about next, uh, was your uh, survival DVDs because um, yeah, I, I really like those. They're great. They're the, so so they basically they they're they're uh, the first one is uh, three three days at the river with nothing but our bare hands, and it's you and your daughter going out and and uh, just going out with well with your bare hands and a video camera. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and yeah, go. that was that was fun. We, um, <laughs> we we thought you know to make the first video in the series, we really needed to do it with nothing but the bare hands. So uh, uh, yeah, we didn't have any knives, no matches, no sleeping bag or tent or anything like that. And we just went out uh, for three days on a uh, on a ranch at a, uh, along the river, and um, uh, and we just documented all of the skills to meet our basic needs. So you know, we went out. We made stone tools. And we used those to make a bow drill set and start a fire, and we built a shelter, and then we went looking for food and uh, got some plant foods and killed a porcupine and mm-hmm. and just documented the whole experience. And and I went into it with this kind of super serious mood that um, you know, or or a, a sort of a rigid vision of uh-huh. you know, I got to make this real professional uh, presentation that want everything to come off. Uh, you know, just so, and uh, and what we ended up coming up with uh, was even better. Really, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of has just a, such a human element to it. Definitely. That, uh, <laughs> my daughter was uh, 13 years old, and when we filmed that, and um, you know, she's hungry and tired at times, and and uh, it's very homespun, and that actually sort of uh, became the. Uh, and sort of the formula, I guess, if you will, for the series that we uh, try to make it not just informational, but also uh, kind of fun that, that people can connect with. Is you know, here's a couple of ordinary people going out and and doing this, and um, and and I actually uh, I've heard from a lot of families that have like, young kids that like to watch these videos over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, six years six years old or, uh, or so, and kids just want to see these again and again the adults uh love them and watch them over and over and they've been played at uh, even a number of schools like after school program type things and and i love uh, i just love the the interaction between you and your daughter at the end when you're eating your meal out of the cottonwood and, and you're at the chopsticks and, and she's just like dad i just want to go to mcdonald's and you're just like looking at it like it's really good <laughs> but I uh, bring that up because in every one of those videos, you can see how you use um, how you harvest some wild plants, which is great. Mm-hmm. Going out there, getting some in the first video, you're getting some burdock and nettles, and and really mm-hmm. great. So I just wanted to bring those up too, like all of the various plant you know related resources that you come up with, and milkweed and and others. So uh, that that is great. Um, so. Let's see where we're at here. Oh, it looks like we're uh, about to almost out of time. But, um, but um, you know, I, I um, let's see here. Let's see what I wanted to do here. Because this is a, also a very uh, professional production, as you can tell. And <laughs> I just, you know, your, your, your ways of doing stuff and, and everything has been a real inspiration of the way that our family does our runs, our, our, all our media. <laughs> It's just way more, and people connect with it a lot more, you know, because it's like, let's just not, let's just be ourselves, you know. Sure. Um, so uh, I was wondering here, since we had a few minutes here, I know you uh, came out with um, your your latest book, and, and I, I didn't want to give you a, a, you know, a chance, of course, to talk about that if, you, if, you, if you'd like to, uh, The Roadmap to Reality, and and I know there's a lot in there, but I mean, uh, what what is what what had you put that together? Because it seems like you've gone through things in your life, and you've observed things, or you've done things hands on, and you and you're really wanting to share with people, like you know, things you've discovered living out there, out in the you know middle of Montana, and and things you discovered about the world and how we can move forward. And and what do you what is what, is that kind of what, uh, what what was this book? What inspired this book? Sure. Okay. Um, well, in some ways, it, it, it really has some ties to botany in a day because it's really about uh, looking at patterns, mm-hmm. and uh, that's um, instead of looking at patterns of how you know among plants, it's really looking at patterns in the way that uh, that we think. 
And so it's uh, really been a fascinating process, one that uh, uh, you know unfolded over quite a number of years. And um, it, and it's, it, in some ways, it's really a, a quest to find out. It's really to find out what reality is. And um, uh, I, I thought it was interesting. Just a couple of days ago, I saw this little article saying how a uh, hundred years ago, uh, pink was considered a, a, a man's color, a manly color, because it's you know sort of intense and vibrant, whereas blue is a lady's color because it's uh, you know kind of a fair. Uh, color, mm-hmm. and now of course it's uh, it, the, those roles are uh, reversed, and uh, you know people that are looking for clothes for their uh, daughters walk into the store, and everything is pink, and they can't find anything that isn't. And so you know it's uh, sort of this cultural bias that you might um, think that uh, you know you would expect that we're so conditioned to thinking of pink as a girl color and blue as a guy color that you would think that it's uh, some genetic um, tenant leaning or something, but it's totally cultural. And so the, uh, you know, the question then gets to be is, is if we sort out all the cu- cultural distortions, uh, what, um, you know, what is actually real because our, our, our perceptions are so distorted. And so one of the things that, uh, that, that comes out of this, it's very interesting, is that uh, sort of the link to technology, that uh, if you look at Stone Age technology, that um, it is linked to part- uh, particular sizes of groups. That is, you know, the groups of people, you don't have uh, hunter-gatherer bands with 10 million people in them. You know, that uh, hunter-gatherer band is going to be very small. And uh, so that sort of the technology that people use for production dictates uh, the size of the groups and then uh, that in turn connects to uh, how they are socially and politically organized and ultimately connects to their perception of reality. In other words, how does the world work? Mm-hmm. And, and so you can look at that as Stone Age, um, Stone Age cultures and see a particular pattern, uh, a, a broad pattern that... Um, You'll see it again and again in the way um, cultures express their, their views of reality. And then if you move to an agricultural uh, society uh, where people are uh, using, uh, say, an ox and plow mm-hmm. to, um, you know, till up the fields and, and plant the, uh, to, to grow crops, that it's linked to another very um, specific and predictable a way of perceiving the world that affects everything from the way parents raise their children to the way the education philosophies uh, to um, the way governments carry out policies. And so we can look at these um, patterns as we go through the technologies to uh, what we, we call industrial technology mm-hmm. and informational technology and even uh, begin to speculate a little bit with changing technologies, how that uh, influences the um, the way people will see will perceive reality in the future, and uh, it's a very helpful tool because uh, a lot of times what people butt heads against, you know, with each other, is um, when uh, just to uh, to give an example would be sort of the uh, creationism versus uh, evolution debate, mm-hmm. and you know you hear these. Uh, you'll hear either side say that the other is not being logical about, uh, you know, how the how they're arriving at conclusions. But from the inside, they're both being logical. It's um, it's a different type of logic. And uh, so, as you begin to uh, understand these patterns, you'll actually hear it. Uh, you know, because first of all, we, we are a society in transition, and so uh, you know, we we always are. And so um, if, say, you go back to the 1850s, uh, Thoreau's time, Henry David Thoreau, um, it was uh, our, our roots at that time, even though it was very much an agricultural society, um, are, there's still enough of, of sort of our um, Stone Age background lingering there, that, um, which, is, which is associated with a very magical interpretation of reality, mm-hmm. that uh, it was a common belief for people 
um, for uh, Americans that believed that well, most plants grew from seeds. Uh, it was there were were plants that inexplicably came up where there weren't any others around, and um, and that you know that it was still believed that plants could magically sprout from nothing. Um, that was a popular belief among American citizens, uh, and so Thoreau, who was sort of um, uh, more of a scientifically oriented, had wrote a book uh, on the dispersal of seeds, which was uh, eventually published under the title Faith in a Seed, and he was showing how seeds could get around, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, hey, this isn't magic, that these things, uh, sprout, uh, you know, actually come from things. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of an example of, of um, going from what I call the uh, uh, sort of magical thinking. Uh, and then uh, in agricultural societies, uh, tend to be, uh, have more mythical explanations for things that, uh, um, things, you know, based in, in principles and um, uh, and sort of like, here's the story and let's make, reality fit the story so there it doesn't matter whether it's uh, biblical or, i mean whether it's um creationism or um uh um islam islamic uh, fundamentalists that uh tend to sort of look for uh read read the version that they have in the bible or the quran and then go out and look in nature and make what they see fit with the story they see mm-hmm. um, and so you can begin to uh, to to see these kinds of things when, when people are talking and realize sort of where their background is uh, that <clears throat> you can kind of understand where they're coming from and and maybe uh, you know work around some of those things uh, one of my particular mm-hmm. favorites is, um, is sort of at the beginning of the industrial age the um, the uh, prior prior to trains, people had never really moved faster than uh, animal power. That you know, however fast they could go on a horse, let's say, is sort of a you know the top speed. And so, when trains first came into existence and they could cross England at 30 miles an hour, they described it as the annihilation of time and space because uh, their country shrunk and you could get uh, to places in a, a third a third the amount of time hmm. now one of the interesting things out of that is that um, as trains got faster and faster uh, you know you'd think that people would appreciate this and and like being able to get to their destination more quickly but they actually found it tedious uh, and boring and, and started reading on um, trains rather than uh, uh, you know really paying attention to what's going outside and what happened was a shift in perspective because for people that were when when you were traveling in a buggy going along in the bumpy roads you got the smell of the manure you're in that sort of first person experience and you're connecting with you know whatever what's going on in every field the farmers are working there it's sort of this whole story this whole journey you're it's an experience from going from point a to point b and what happened is when the train started uh, picking up speed there is that the foreground was too blurry it just went by too fast so what you have is this kind of a static background picture and you get to uh, develop what we call a third person perspective as you're looking at uh, sort of you're standing back you're looking at the big picture and that changes things throughout our society so for example if you go into your your old-time grocery stores are very first person experiences very intimate with all the products and if you go into your grocery stores or your walmarts today you really uh, what you're looking at is train tracks. You've got you've you're, you got this uh, train track running down the middle, a panoramic view of all this stuff, and you go sailing by it, and you get this kind of big picture view. Right. And so, uh, and and it really changed um, our preferences as well because now people really couldn't stand the the first person experience of. You know, we're so wired to it. We've grown up with this third-person perspective or experience, so we can't really. It's hard to appreciate that. You know, okay, now we're gonna uh, we're gonna do our yearly uh, trip to 
town, the 30 miles, it's going to take us all day to get there, and bumpity, 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 bump, and, uh, you know, smelling horse manure and swatting flies all the way there. People don't like that experience. They want to get there uh, quickly. And so, you know, the, these kinds of changes completely rewire the brain so that we see reality and experience it, things in a completely new way. And so uh, it's... Um, in the book, you'll find a, a sort of a, a quest and an adventure uh, to unravel all this and and, uh, and sort of get a different perspective on what reality really is. Wow. <laughs> you tackle a lot in your book. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's kind of, a, kind of a book about everything. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, a Thank challenge to write, but also a, a fun project. And I should also, you know, point out that when you're, these books are not only written by you, they're self-published and you're, and that's a whole nother thing. And, um, and also, you know, with all, on your own website and all folks are, uh, wanting to pick up on you today or Shanleo's quest or any, any of the DVDs, the cards, whatever that, um, you know, supporting the author directly is, uh, we always encourage that on our mentor radio. So simply go to hollowtop.com and h a l l o w t o p dot com h o l l o w t o p dot com if that's not what I just said and <laughs> and uh, and um, there's a good portal to all Tom sites including wildflowersandweeds dot com which is off of there as well you can link to uh, from holotop dot com and there's a lot of extra resources for the Bonnie Today reader photos and that sort of thing and I wanted to point that out too uh, so Tom um, thank you I mean I, not only can't thank you enough for what you created in your books and resources, it's been a huge influence on me and my style of teaching and learning and everything, but I also want to thank you for uh, joining us today on Herb Mentor Radio. Oh, well, thank you, John. I uh, really appreciate the in- invites, and uh, I had a good time. Thanks, and we'll have you back at some point. And, um, and if you uh, are ever in the... Uh, Silver Star, Montana area, not too far from the North Yellowstone part. Uh, you can vis- actually visit the real granny store there. Um, so uh, and then just tell him, tell, tell him John sent you. Now. <laughs> so thanks again, Tom, and we'll see you. We'll see you soon. Have a great day. Okay, thanks, John. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio. Copyright LearningHerbs.com. All rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.